This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Time not to turn our attention to the United States. Yes, indeed. And from the exclusion of Singapore at the recent Democracy Summit hosted by President Joe Biden to one of the largest tornadoes in the U.S. and rising tensions between Russia and the United States. Uh, Joining us to talk more about this, Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for the Straits Times. Now, good morning, Nirmal. Um, One of the things that has been making headlines and there has been a lot of discussion about in the last week in Singapore is the fact that we were not invited to the Democracy Summit that Mr. Joe Biden Hosted last Thursday, it actually witnessed a gathering of over a hundred world leaders, all in an attempt to support democracies around the world. So, a lot of people asking that question: Why wasn't Singapore included? But also this question: How would all of this affect bilateral ties between the two nations? Good morning. Yes. U.S. officials have not specifically said why Singapore was not included. Also bear in mind that there were other exclusions which also raised eyebrows. In the, in the case of Asia, for instance, Bhutan, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka were not included. So I did ask Azra Zaya, Under Secretary of State for Civilian Security, Democracy and Human Rights, about this. And let me quote her exact words. She said, the U.S. reached out to a regionally diverse set of democracies whose progress and commitments we assess will advance a more just and peaceful world. Our goal was to be as inclusive as possible within logistical constraints. And so we are going to continue engaging with some participants, but also other governments around the world, whether that work occurs within or outside the summit framework. We can, of course, expect more emphasis on rights and freedoms. President Biden, upon taking office, called upon the State Department Uh, to work to center human rights and democratic values in U.S. foreign policy. But to the last part of your question, back to Singapore, it is unlikely to affect bilateral ties with the U.S., which are very broad and very deep and have larger uh, strategic implications. All right, Normal. Uh, let's talk about the two-day summit on democratic freedoms hosted by the U.S. president last week. Now, one of the other things to come out was that China was trolling with uh, mocking propaganda that included a rap song in English saying that Americans, uh, quote, sell democracy like they sell Coca-Cola. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the issues discussed during this summit. And, you know, if there were any indirect hits at nations who did not share, let's say, you know, similar ideologies with the United States, why on earth did China feel they needed to behave this way? Okay, so one reason, of course, that China is upset is that Taiwan was included in the summit. But more broadly, this is about the narrative. Beijing wants to show, to prove that the East is rising and the West is declining. The Summit for Democracy undermines that narrative. And even if commitments to democracy vary, this is still a gathering of the like-minded and it is values-based. And it does strengthen their linkages. And it is also seen as the U.S. trying to build an anti-China coalition. What the summit discussed a great deal of was corruption and media freedom, The U.S. announced aid in support of media freedom around the world for a fund to defend journalists from defamation lawsuits, for instance. The outcomes were not very many, but the U.S. sees this as the start of a process to strengthen democracy and democracies. And that brings us back to China's interpretation, which is that the U.S. is dividing the world and China's system is as good or better than a democracy and is in fact democratic. They are trying to appropriate that label to disrupt the conventional definition of democracy. This podcast is available on our audio app. 
That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Now, Nirmal, the U.S. has also been struggling with one of the largest storm outbreaks in history, as described by President Joe Biden. Dozens of devastating tornadoes have left more than 80 people dead in six U.S. states. Talk to us about the scale of this tornado outbreak and about those warning systems that I understand are under scrutiny as well, uh, that are actually supposed to provide early signs of a tragedy such as this. Yes, six states and a total of 22 tornadoes, 22 on that one night. This is apparently unprecedented for that area. And they are still trying to track their paths and assess how many separate tornadoes there were. That 22 is only the latest count. So yes, there were tornado warnings. Many people who became aware of those did go down into tornado and storm shelters and their own basements. Earlier events scheduled for that night were cancelled. But the power of the particular tornadoes that hit Kentucky has never been seen before. One basically tore apart through four states over four hours in the night. And that is believed to be the longest distance for a tornado in U.S. history. Wind speed upwards of 150 miles per hour. That's about 240 kilometers per hour. This is the deadliest tornado event they have ever seen. Utter destruction. In in Kentucky alone, over 1,000 homes utterly destroyed. It's all rubble. The death toll is unfortunately probably going to go up. They are working right now to remove debris manually and with heavy machinery. Relief funds have been set up. And certainly in the aftermath, we will learn more about the relative intensity of these storms. And if they are an an example of the more intense and destructive storms we are beginning to see because of climate change. Well, that's a good point there, Nirmal. We're on the line, by the way, with uh, Straits Times U.S. Bureau Chief Nirmal Ghosh. Nirmal, next issue, let's talk about the relationship between Russia and the United States. Looking tense these days, Russia's President Vladimir Putin had visited India in a move to boost military and trade ties despite their existing differences. Okay, so what was discussed between these meeting, uh, this, this meeting and how will this visit further strain the already tense relationship that the U.S. has with Russia? I mean, uh, perhaps more sanctions from the United States? What are your thoughts? India and Russia signed more than two dozen deals across a variety of sectors, but most importantly, they also signed a 10-year defense cooperation pact. And also India's Foreign Secretary Harsh Shringla confirmed that Russia has started delivering its long-range S-400 surface-to-air missile defense system. This is a deal the two countries signed in 2018. Now, under U.S. law, India is liable to be sanctioned for buying this weapon system from Russia. The U.S. sanctioned Turkey for the same thing. But the Biden administration is not enthusiastic about sanctioning India as it considers India on its side and an important large democracy and large regional power when it comes to dealing with China. The Secretary of State can grant at his discretion a waiver on national security grounds. The U.S. has not said it will do this, but it is very likely that it will. As for India, India wants to keep its options open. And from Russia's point of view, strategically, they also don't want any one country, including China, being the the hegemon, being an overlord in Asia. They have an old partnership and India buys weapons and they are keeping it warm. 
Tensions also between the U.S. and Bangladesh. Bangladesh uh, called in the U.S. ambassador on Saturday to protest some sanctions by Washington against its top security officers. Uh, this was after seven people, including the country's national police chief, were actually accused by the Joe Biden administration of human rights abuses. Now, well, tell us more about these sanctions. Uh, what led to such a decision? And of course, uh, what this means in terms of conflicting interests in the nation's methods of looking at criminal law. Right. So the Rapid Action Battalion, the RAB, was founded in 2004 and charged with internal security, intelligence gathering and so forth. It was drawn from members of the police, army, navy, air force, border guard, and it became a prestigious anti-crime and anti-terrorism unit. But it also became controversial on account of its methods. It has been accused of extrajudicial killings, forced disappearances, that kind of thing. The Treasury statement says it is accused of more than 600 enforced disappearances in the past 12 years, a similar number of extrajudicial uh, killings and the use of torture. In fact, in prior to the announcement, about 100 relatives of disappeared people gathered in Dhaka to mark International Human Rights Day. And meanwhile, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken put two Bangladeshis on a list of 12 foreign government officials blacklisted by the U.S. for credible information of being involved in gross violation of human rights or significant corruption. And he spelled it out again. It is part of the agenda of the Biden administration. He said, we are determined to put human rights at the center of our foreign policy. Uh, we were speaking there with uh, Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Nirmal, appreciate your time this morning. You take it and stay safe. We'll catch up again next week. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.